So we're in the book of Acts, chapter 18, from verse 24 to verse 28. Uh, this is in our series of, exposi uh, of exposition uh, of the book of Acts. And I've told you before, and I, I'll tell you again, uh, I do believe that calling the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles is uh, true, but it's uh, slightly misleading because more than the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts is the, about the Acts of the risen Christ. As Christ is risen from, uh, from the grave and he dwells with the disciples for 40 days, he then rises and ascends to, to the right hand of the Father. He sends his spirit, that's how the book of Acts begins, and then his spirit works in the hearts of those believers in Jerusalem, and the word expands from Jer Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. That is the, 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 the main theme of the book of Acts. What is Christ still doing for the church after his ascension, through his spirit. The, the book of Acts does report for us about those early years of the primitive church. And it does focus not on the apostles. It focuses mainly on two of the apostles, Peter and Paul. So from Acts 1 to Acts 12, it is mainly focused around the ministry of Peter and from, verse, uh, from chapter 13 onwards to the end, chapter 28, it focuses mainly on the ministry of Paul. The conversion of Paul was in Acts, or is recorded in Acts chapter 9. But evidently, other apostles were present at this time. And they also made important contributions to the promotion of the gospel of Christ. But those are not reported for us in this book. Not only apostles, other ministers, other servants, other sons and daughters of God have done many great things in these early years for the Lord that are not reported for us. Luke has to be concise or is trying to be selective in the things that he says. We read of the church of Antioch, the church that sent the Apostle Paul on this missionary journey, uh, on, on these missionary journeys. Um, we read that in, a, in the church of Antioch, you had uh, Simeon, who was also called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, uh, who had been brought up with Her Herod the Tetrarch. We know almost nothing about them. Luke does focus in other men here and there, or women as well. Luke does, albeit briefly, give us a history of the contribution of Stephen, of Philip the evangelist. He tells us a little bit about Barnabas, or about Silas and Timothy, Aquila and Priscilla. And in these verses, he, all, he here records for us the contribution of another minister of Christ, another servant of Christ, Apollos, an Egyptian Jew uh, who was born in Alexandria that we know very little about. We know what is recorded for us here. There's a few mentions of him in the, in the first letter uh, of Paul to the Corinthians, and that's about it. But he is someone who is commended. And in this passage, we read about, number one, his qualities. 
Number two, his shortcomings. And number three, his ministry in Corinth. And that's what we will consider today, alongside considering how this impacts us and should help us. We will consider as well the, the role that Priscilla and Aquila played in all of this. So f to begin with, let us look at the qualities of Apollos. Luke begins this section by saying that he was a Jew. There was named Apollos, which is probably short form for Apollonius, uh, an abbreviation of the Greek name Apollonius, that he was a Jew of the dispersion, that he was a Jew from Alexandria. Alexandria was a great city in, the, in, uh, in Egypt, the second foremost city of the Roman Empire. It was a city well known, among other reasons, for its library. The, the library in Alexandria was, before it burned down, a great center of culture and writings. He, Alexandria was known for the, as the place where the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was widely used by the disciples, by the, by the Christians in the uh, and the Jews in the, in the first century, it was in Alexandria that this translation was made. And Alexandria was also, among other things, known as the home of Philo, the Jewish Hellen Hellenic philosopher, an interpreter of the Old Testament, a historian, a very well-known figure of in antiquity. He was named, this Jew, Philo, was namely, or mainly known as uh, a Jew that tried to harmonize Old Testament theology with uh, Greek philosophy. And he's very well known in uh, religious and non-religious circles to this day. It is not unlikely that, Paul, uh, that Apollos, being born at Alexandria, being a man uh, from Alexandria, and Philo, having lived in Alexandria precisely at this time, uh, by now probably Philo was dead, uh, was, had passed away. He, he died in the year 50. This is recorded for us in the year 52. But it's not unlikely that Apollos knew, uh, was acquainted with, and perhaps knew personally, Philo. They were contemporaries and a part of the same Jewish colony. There was a massive, sprawling Jewish colony in Alexandria. It is told by some historians that the, the synagogue in Alexandria was so big, so massive, and you only have a big, massive synagogue if you have a big, massive community. The synagogue in Alexandria was so massive that they had to have a post uh, or a, a tower in the middle of the, the hall where a, a man would stand with a, with a flag to... Uh, signal to the uh, to the people in the back where at what point they were in the order of service so when it was the amen he would wave a flag and everyone in the back because they could not see towards the front it was so big it was they would know uh, to say the amen with the rest of the congregation so this this was the place where apollos came from but more importantly than the biographical information that Luke gives us here, it tells us that Paul, uh, that Apollos was an eloquent man, mighty in scriptures, that he was instructed in the way of the Lord, that he was fervent in the spirit, 
that he spoke and taught accurately and that he was bold, that he was, uh, that he was uh, daring to speak and teach accurately the things about Jesus. So he was a learned, biblical, Christ-centered, fervent preacher. The Greek word here translated as eloquent is the word logios. It is a word that is employed mainly or uh, in, the, in the context of learned or skilled with words or, or uh, someone who is cultured or uh, instructed. It is the only place here in the New Testament where this word is used. And in this context, it probably means that he was eloquent in the sense that he was well instructed, that he was cultured, that he knew how to speak, that he was not some kind of, uh, of person who had trouble with his words, that he had uh, being educated in, in the Greek culture in Alexandria. He probably knew something about rhetoric, oratory, history, and philosophy. Apollos was a, a man of erudition. He was someone who had an ability to communicate. Calvin comments about Apollos. He says that uh, although Paul does truly deny that the kingdom do, does truly deny that the kingdom of God consists of words, and he himself, Paul, was not commended for his eloquence. He, in fact, he he had this uh, accusation that he was not very good with words. We think of Paul differently sometimes, but. At least by his peers, by his contemporaries, Paul was accused of not being very eloquent. And then you wonder why is it that Paul and Apollos, uh, or that there was this strife within the, the Corinthian church about being of Paul or Apollos or Cephas or, or Christ. Although Paul, let me continue the, the quote here from John Calvin, Calvin, that although Paul does say that the kingdom of God does not consist of words, and he was not indeed commended for his eloquence, yet dexterity in speaking and reasoning, the word that John Calvin uses is sermonizing, sermonichandi, or sermonizing, is not to be despised, especially when no pomp or vain boasting is sought after with this with using fine words and great eloquence. It is fine, what John Calvin is saying, it is fine to be eloquent, it is even a good virtue to have. Especially, especially when this, uh, this eloquence is not meant to, to seek after or v uh, boasting or seek after the, the, the pleasing of, of the hearers. So he was an eloquent man. But not only was he an eloquent man, this is more a, a Greek culture uh, uh, virtue. He was also mighty in scriptures. Mighty in scriptures. What a great statement to make about, about Apollos. That he was mighty in scriptures. The word here is dunatos. Uh, the same word that, that modern, uh, in modern days is, uh, uh, is one of the words that originates for the word dynamic or for the word dynamite. You, you could say even that uh, Apollos was, in a sense, dynamic, explosive, powerful, mighty in scriptures, that he understood, he was well-versed in the scriptures. Scriptures here, when used in the New Testament, is always meant to refer to the Old Testament. He knew his Bible. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the, his uh, his the writings 
that he, that were his and and he he was well learned in them but he was also well uh, capable of interpreting it and applying it with power that's where the power comes from he was mighty in the scriptures and brothers and sisters that is something that we need to look for that is something that we need to pray for that the lord would raise up men like apollos Mighty in the scriptures. And besides being knowledgeable in the Greek culture, being mighty in the Hebrew scripture, in the Old Testament, we read that he was also instructed in the way of the Lord. That he knew. He, the word for instructed here is the word for catechism. Some of you that perhaps went to Roman Catholic uh, churches uh, in, growing up, you went to the catechesis class, or if you're Presbyterian, you have catechisms and uh, Westminster catechisms and all of that. That's the word for instructed here. He was uh, taught in the ways of the Lord. And I do believe, given the context of what is being said here, that what Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is trying to say is that he was instructed in the way of Christ. That he was instructed in the way of Christ. And you might ask, how is it that he was instructed in the way of Christ? Though he was teaching and, uh, and preaching, uh, in, uh, in some way still lacking some knowledge, there is another sense uh, that he was teaching and preaching the way of the Lord, the gospel of Jesus. It might have been, given that Alexandria was this massive Jewish colony in the, in the first century, it might have been that some of those disciples that got... Uh, Scattered, as Luke says in the first century, uh, in the in the persecution that happened in Jerusalem, it might have been that some of them went out uh, and and took the gospel to Alexandria. It's not that uncommon that such a great city, a massive, uh, important city in the Roman Empire, with such a big Jewish population, the gospel of Christ would have arrived there quite early, quite quickly, as the the disciples were being scattered. The seed was being scattered because of persecution. Apollos knew something. He heard the message of salvation. He knew something of, of the message of Jesus Christ. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah announced in Scripture. And he, he had saving faith. He was a disciple even though he had some shortcomings that we will look at. And the final quality, or one of the final quality that I want to point to, is that it says here that he was fervent in spirit. Now, in the translation that we have in front of us, spirit is uh, with, lower, cap with lower, lower capital letters, no, is not with a capital letter, and it lacks the... the the definite article. But I do believe that when it says you're fervent in spirit, and I'm not alone in, in, in this interpretation, that it's not he was fervent in himself, in his, in his 
uh, emotions. He was fervent in himself. That it is actually meaning that he was fervent in the Spirit, capital letter, in this Holy Spirit. And I'm not alone. Uh, John Calvin, for instance, he says that Luke does attribute the zeal to the Spirit, capital. Therefore, because it is a rare and peculiar gift, neither I do so expound it that Apollos was moved and pricked forward with the instinct, instinct of his mind, but by the motion of the Holy Spirit. I do believe that, the, that what we are being told here is a commendation of Apollos. As someone who, yes, had shortcomings, but had the qualities and the gifting and the blessing and the graces of the Spirit in his life. And with these qualities, Apollos was preaching, uh, teaching, reasoning in the synagogue in Ephesus. Based on the Old Testament, with historical evidence, but he was arguing that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ I believe it is the same, the same thing that he went on to do in Corinth. He was doing it here in Ephesus. And who was at Ephesus? If you remember now, in, cast your mind back to, uh, to last week and to the, the previous weeks. Aquila and Priscilla were left there in the providence of God. They were left in Ephesus. So here is, is Apollos teaching about Jesus. But yet... He was not perfect in this knowledge. It says in verse 26, or in verse, at the end of, of verse uh, 25, though he knew only of the baptism of John. And then 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the bread... Sorry, the brethren wrote, exhorting disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So what are the shortcomings of Apollos? What are his uh, shortcomings? In spite of all his qualities, the knowledge of the gospel that Apollos had attained had limitations. Although he had received plenty of grace, he had need for more grace still. Among other things, for some reason, he knew only of the baptism of John. He only knew of the, the baptism of John the Baptist. He didn't know the Christian baptism, the initiation right into the church established by Jesus for the new covenant. There are some, and I need to say this, uh, there are some New Testament preachers, uh, New Testament scholars and preachers and pastors that have suggested that actually the main reason of all of this, or the, the main thing about uh, Apollos, was that he was just a pious Jew. That he was at this time not converted. That he was a disciple of John the Baptist, brought to conviction of sins and repentance through his preaching. But that, that he was not uh, a Christian yet. That he was still uh, lacking the grace of God, the, re the receiving of the gospel of Christ. And according to these, the, this interpretation, it is Aquila and Priscilla that introduce him to the gospel of Christ and lead him to, uh, uh, to Christ. And it's then that he comes to a saving knowledge, to a saving faith. I think this interpretation is completely unnecessary. I think... Judge it yourselves, but, uh, and it is a valid interpretation, but I think it is unnecessary. 
He puts strain in the text that does not need to be there. Apollos, we are told, was teaching accurately the things of the Lord. And yes, the things of the Lord here might mean just the, the way of the Lord as it is meant in the Old Testament. But given the context, I think Lord here is talking about Christ. Christ the Lord. It is unnecessary to put that strain on the text. He was teaching accurately. He was a bold, fervent man in the spirit. He was, uh, that's why Priscilla and Aquila were drawn to him. For some unknown historical reason, he knew only the baptism of John. But that was uh, uh, not that he was not saved. Otherwise, it just doesn't quite fit with the, with the context. So why is it that he didn't uh, know about the baptism, the New Testament church baptism? As I said, it is unknown. But one of the reasons might be that he still lacked uh, the teaching uh, of the redemptive work of Christ. Yes, some of the, the, uh, the happenings what had occurred in Jerusalem on, the, on that Passover week, the resurrection of the Lord, the, the, the testimony uh, of the witness of many to have seen him uh, with their own eyes, might have reached uh, Alexandria. Yet, as we know, Paul was not preaching there. Or Paul was going through the, the regions of Galatia to the north and not to the south. So there was still a lack of, of, the, of the understanding, the pioneering missionary work, especially given by Paul, not that the other apostles were not doing this, but especially by Paul, that meant that those in Alexandria, those Christians, those disciples in Alexandria, still had a, a limited understanding of the gospel. The knowledge of Christian truths that Paul's disciples possessed, like Priscilla and Aquila, was probably exceptional for their age, for, their, for that time. They learned the gospel directly from the, the, the Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian of the Christian church, someone who had achieved extraordinary understanding of the doctrines of the, of the gospel, because he learned them directly from Christ. He was specially voca uh, gifted in the doctrines of, uh, of the gospel, in the, in the doctrine of regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, sanctification. And Priscilla and Aquila, they learned from Paul. So it's only normal that someone like Apollos coming from a place where the influences uh, of Paul had not yet reached uh, that he was lacking, that he was short in some of that. It is natural that Aquila and Priscilla should not only be qualified to perceive those deficiencies, those shortcomings, but also to expound to him more accurately and in a more profound manner the gospel of Christ. And they did. And again, we can thank the providence of God in, in all of this, that he, in, the, in, in God's wisdom... Priscilla and Aquila were left there in Ephesus. So, with wisdom, Priscilla and Aquila, they neither ignored his lack of ability nor embarrassed him in public. So, the problem that could have happened here is that 
they see his, his great ability, but because of his uh, shortcomings, they go, you're disqualified. I don't... No, they did not ignore uh, his ability, but they did not ignore, uh, embarrass him in public. They didn't go out, all out in public and, and tell to the world what he was doing. They were not aggressive. They didn't go, if it was today on Twitter, immediately uh, uh, after and, and write about how the, 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 the preacher was so bad. Or they didn't write a, a scathing uh, WhatsApp message saying, oh, actually, uh, about the sermon you just preached uh, uh, a couple of hours ago as the preacher is trying to get to, uh, ready to go to sleep and rest. They didn't know. What did they do? Let it be an example to all of us. They took him aside. They took him in. They took him aside and they explained to him. They were patient. They were gentle. Courage and gentleness need to go hand in hand in Christian life, brothers and sisters. If you have gentleness and have no courage and no boldness, no thing will ever change. But if you have courage but have no gentleness, no one will ever change. Both things need to go together. And here they are with Priscilla and Aquila. Courage and gentleness. Boldness and gentleness going hand in hand. And what is the result? Apollos is humble. He learns. He, he further understands more accurately what, he, uh, what the Lord and the gospel of our Lord. Perhaps... Uh, motivated by Priscilla and Aquila, when Priscilla and Aquila tell him, oh, by the way, we just came from Corinth, from Achaia, and this is what we've, do we've done there, this is, this, this is what's happening there. Perhaps motivated by these conversations, he desires to go to Achaia, Apollos goes there, and he has a fruitful ministry there. We read in verse 28 that he view, uh, vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. Showing from scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now imagine yourself a Christian in Corinth. The same Corinth that we read about a couple of weeks ago. That the Jews there were very fierce. That the Jews there were, were anti, the, the, well, everywhere where the gospel was going. The, the Jews in that place were, were pushing back. We're, we're opposing the, the, the New Testament church. Imagine being a Gentile Christian in Corinth. And you're trying to live. You know the gospel is true. You have the inner witness of the spirit. But there's this, all this pressure around. Not only the pressure from the world and the culture in Corinth. But there's also the pressure from the, the, the Jews in that, in, in that city. And they are opposing you. And they're saying it's a, bu a bunch of rubbish. That's what you're saying. That Christ cannot be the Jewish Messiah. And they're reasoning from scriptures. Imagine yourself being a, a, a Gentile in, in Corinth. Not having a huge knowledge uh, of the Old Testament church. And here comes Apollos. Just after Paul left. And now they're left there alone. With, perhaps with maybe with, with some leaders. We don't know if... Uh, any of the, the, the companions of Paul stayed there. But they're struggling. And here comes Apollos, a man who is mighty in Scripture. And he is, I love the word here, vigorously, strongly refuting the Jews. How, how does that help your faith if you're a Gentile in that city? You're going to think to yourself, okay, see, that's fine. The Lord provided. 
the right person to refute, to strengthen the faith. Apollos' ministry was so blessed in Corinth that he, Paul refers to Apollos as a servant of God, just like him. When he writes to the, first, uh, to the Corinthians, not, not much after, not much time after what we're reading here, when he writes the first letter to the Corinthians from, from Ephesus, when Paul returns to Ephesus, what does he say to the Corinthians? Well, I planted and Apollos watered. But who gave the increase? God gave the increase. When Paul writes the letter to the Corinthians, it seems that Apollos is back in Ephesus with the apostle. They, they became partners. They became companions in the gospel. But at this time, it seems like um, Apollos does not want to return to Corinth. And you ask, why is that? Why is it that Apollos does not want to return to Corinth? Oh, well, let's read there. Maybe you don't know the uh, 1 Corinthians Verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 12. We read, now concerning our brother Apollos, chapter 16, verse 12. I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren. But he was quite unwilling to come at this time. But he, however... Uh, However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Again, why didn't he want to go back to Corinth? You might, we don't know, it's not told to us, but we can speculate. Given what had happened in Corinth during the ministry of Apollos, it's not too unlikely that Apollos didn't actually want to return there because the divisions that started because of his ministry there. As he went to Corinth, Perhaps because of his eloquence, perhaps because of other giftedness that he had, the vision started to rise amongst us, amongst them, amongst the, the, the church at Corinth. Some were saying that they were of Apollos, and others were saying that they were of Cephas, Peter, and others were saying that they were of Christ, and others were saying that they were of Peter. And when Paul writes to them, he's, he's chastising them for that kind of attitude. And perhaps Apollos, knowing what had happened because, because of his ministry, that he doesn't really want to go there and, 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 and stoke the flames even higher. He's refraining from going there. It's a possibility. In spite of Paul's recommendation. So what do we learn from this? What do we learn from this brief account of Apollos' ministry I think it contains relevant, message, uh, relevant applications for us and lessons, brothers and sisters. First of all, one of to humble us, to teach us something about humility, that those that have been graced still need more grace. Here's Apollos, someone who has been graced with so many gifts, has been given so many uh, graces from the Lord. 
But he still needed more grace. He still needed some grace. We still need help. All of us. Doesn't matter what, what vocation you have in the Christian life. We need grace every single day of our lives. No one in this world has ever risen to a point where it needs not grace. There are still remainders of unbelief. There are still things that cling to us from our previous life, from our old creation life, before we, we were regenerated. There are still clinging to us that we need to get rid of. We need grace. We still need help. And how does help come to us, brothers and sisters? Well, from this passage, uh, help comes to us from a multitude of places. It comes from the Word. It comes from the stirring up of one another to faith, to love and good deeds of our brethren. This passage just reminds us that we need to grow in our understanding. Here's someone who was probably one of the, the most eloquent men in the Christian church in that day. Someone who was perhaps one of the most uh, intellectual men in his day. And he still had to learn. He still had to learn. And one of the, the humbling things here, and one of the encouraging things for you and humbling things for ministers... Let me say it like this. One of the encouraging things for all of us in that sense is that God accomplished this. Not by sending uh, an apostle, but by sending someone who was unordained to help this person. We sometimes refer to full-time Christian ministry, right? Someone who was not in full-time Christian ministry to help this man. A couple, a husband and a wife to accomplish this work to open their homes, to engage in, an act, in acts of hospitality. But by doing this, the Lord was actually using them to supplement, to build up the church. Isn't that encouraging for all of us? That we are to be faithful to the Lord in whatever vocation the Lord places us in. Is this something that we can do for Christ? Is this something that we can do for Christ? That Christian ministry of hospitality and love and care. I'll say a little bit more about it. But we also learn uh, in a minute or two. But we also learn here about the, the gifts uh, or what we learn here for. Um, well, as I said, we learn here. Something of the providence of God, don't we? We learn to trust the Lord. Just as Paul and his background had prepared them to be a great apostle, as he learned under, under the feet, uh, at the feet of Gamaliel, as he was uh, all those things building up for him, born in Tarsus, a Roman citizen, all those providences uh, building up so that he would be uh, qualified uh, uh, to accomplish the work that the Lord had set him to do in his ministry. We see the same thing here with Apollos, the play, his Jewish background. As a, a person who learned the scriptures, his Alexandrian birth as uh, being born in that city of knowledge. 
his relationship uh, with 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 the uh, with people leading him to to a knowledge of John the Baptist and of repentance, his natural and moral qualities, his boldness, his determination, his humility to be taught by uh, Aquila and Priscilla. All of these things were there, placed by the Lord, specifically in His providence for this reason. His relationship, coming to Ephesus, and His relationship with Aquila and Priscilla at this time. Again, the providence of God. Paul is going through, uh, uh, or going back to Syria. He is running to get to Jerusalem. But in the meantime, because he, he arrives at this port of Ephesus, and because of the, the reception is so good, but he cannot stay. What does he do? Well, well Priscilla and Aquila, do you think you guys can stay here? What a whirlwind being a, being a friend uh, and a ministry, a companion, a ministry companion of Paul. And they stay. What happens next after they stay? Here comes Apollos. And Priscilla and Aquila uh, are in exactly the right place at the right time, just in time. To, to, to be used by the Lord. All of these things, all of these things are meant to show us that God is a God of providence, that He works every single strand perfectly for His good purposes. He who calls to the ministry in His providence also prepares those He calls for the work that He entrusts to them. The Lord is a is at work overruling and undertaking. I was going to say a few things about Apollos' uh, qualities here. But I think, just to keep it a little bit shorter, or not to spend much time here, let us learn that there is a, uh, a blessing, or there is a, that this passage illustrates for us some of the important qualities for ministry of the word. Sound judgment, being uh, erudition, uh, biblical theological knowledge, ability to teach, boldness, and even humility uh, are natural and moral spiritual qualities that we should look forward to those that minister the word of God. I could say more things here, but we'll leave that for another occasion. It's not a good IQ that is required, is it? We're not told here that one of his qualities was that he was very smart. That one of his qualities was that he was uh, very, uh, he was uh, a genius. That he, one of his qualities was that he had a, a, a theological degree by a university somewhere, some kind of uh, uh, master's in theology or doctorate in philosophy. No. But there are qualities that the Lord blesses uh, ministers uh, regularly with that should be looked forward to. And here, I, I must say, I don't have many of those. I'm not the most eloquent minister. I'm not the most uh, easy-to-follow minister. But those are the things that are to be looked forward to those who minister the Word of God. And I think of those that have been a great blessing to my life. Uh, as a minister those are the, the qualities that we should look forward to or look for in young men seeking to serve the Lord 
but I'll, I'll leave this for another occasion to talk or to speak on more at length. I think the main point that I want to make to us tonight, uh, tonight this morning, again, the eloquence thing, uh, this morning, the main thing that I would want us to consider as we close is actually not Paul, uh, Apollos, is Aquila and Priscilla. Brothers and sisters, Aquila and Priscilla should be the greatest encouragement to all of us for service, to serve him. They are relevant to us in more ways than, than meets the eye. What would you do in a situation like this? You're there in Ephesus, husband and wife, a godly couple, and here comes a young man, I don't know, we don't know how old Apollos was, uh, Apollos was but here comes a young man, let's say, and he, he has some gifts, but he's still a little bit rough around the edges. What would you do in that situation? When a man is evidently gifted and enthusiastic even, what would you do? Would you put out the fire and go... Well, you're still not there yet. It's just, I'll write you an email uh, with all the, my feedback on your sermon. Uh, and we'll, uh, What did they do? What did they do? They called him. Aside, they were gentle with him. Perhaps over the, the dinner table. When it's so much easier sometimes to say some things and not be taken out of context or not be seen as overly harsh. There are many ways. We don't have those kind of young people here. In the, but there are many ways that in the future, if the Lord does bless, and we do believe that the Lord will bless the work here, that we can encourage those young men even young women coming to this church, seeking to serve the Lord. There are many ways we can do it. Even when we see defects, even when we see shortcomings, maybe uh, bring, become a spiritual mentor, become someone who comes alongside the purchasing of books or the encouraging them to read, reading with them or praying for them, taking interest in them, investing in them. That's what Priscilla and Aquila were for Apollos. There is a story told. Uh, you know Hugh Latimer? Ever heard of Hugh Latimer? They're an English reformer. There is a story told. It is told by Pastor James Montgomery Boyce. And this should be an example to us about how a young monk, a diminutive uh, young monk, as uh, James Montgomery Boyce calls him, called Thomas Bilney, uh, was used of the Lord to, to encourage this young man called uh, Latimer. It is the story of a young monk that wanted to tell him about the gospel, wanted to tell him more accurately no one thought very much of him. 
a few Latimer. But Bilney was converted and he wondered how it might be possible for him to bring the gospel to Hugh Latimer. Bilney thought that Latimer would be a tremendous force for the Reformation. He was, if he could just hear the gospel. Latimer was not converted. He didn't know the gospel. But Bilney, this uh, young monk, this young friar, he prayed about this. He was, he was overwhelmed with this necessity of, 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 uh, of preaching the gospel because he sensed or he, he was propelled to th- to, to this idea that Latimer would be a blessing upon the nation and upon the Reformation in England. You know what priests were required to do, right? Every day, or I don't know if it's every day, but they were required to make confession. So one day, as Latimer is coming uh, uh, to the church, Bilney went up to him and said, Oh, I want to hear your confession. Oh, I want you to hear my confession, uh, he said to Latimer. So Latimer and Bilney walk into the confession booth and Bilney just starts confessing to him. He confesses to him the gospel. He tells him how he was a great sinner and how his sins were forgiven by the grace and mercy of Christ. And he tells him about the righteousness of Jesus imputed to him uh, apart from works, apart from, from, uh, from merit. This is what... Bilney confessed to Hugh Latimer. He preached the gospel to him. And Hugh Latimer was converted. And Hugh Latimer became a great force for the Reformation here in England. What am I trying to say here is that Bilney was used of the Lord in this gentle, uh, charitable way. Not to push down Latimer, but to be used... To bring Latimer to faith. And something like this was occurring here in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos speak. They, they thought to themselves, they probably spoke around the dinner table that night when, after they heard him as they get home. It's like, oh, that young man was re- is really gifted. He's very able, isn't he? They must have said to one another, but there's something missing about him. There's something that is not quite right. You know, what you heard what he said, or you, were, you heard that this was... Uh, there's still something there. And what do they say? Well, we should get him over. Let's get him to come and have dinner with us. Let's get him over. Let's instruct him. Let's equip him. Let's, let's take him to, to Corinth. Let's, let's tell him about Corinth. And their generous hospitality, their encouragement, ensure that the church was better served. I told, I, I, I've said this last week and I'll say it again. And I'll close with this. We tend to think about uh, gospel ministers, about pastors and preachers and the great heroes of the faith of the past, greatly used of God as the main people in the church, as the people that are a priority in, Christian, in the Christian church. They are not. Most of the work is accomplished by people like Aquila and Priscilla. They don't have a title. They don't have an office. To, uh, they are not bearing an office in the church, and they are fine with it. Because they know that the Lord has called them to serve in this way. You see, last week we were talking about Paul making that vow, right? He, was, he shaved his head uh, because he had made a vow. And that the vow was the vow of a Nazarite. A Nazarite was uh, dedicated for those 30 days, those 60 days or 100 days. There, there was this dedication. 
The dedication of the Christian life is not for 60 days, 100 days, or, or, or 30 days. It's a whole life dedication. Everything in our lives is to serve the Lord. I would want to say more here, but be encouraged by this. And perhaps we'll come back to it next week. Uh, be encouraged that we are all given a role like Priscilla and Aquila. We are all given a role to serve in that way. Men and women. Isn't it wonderful? I know I, I, know I said that, but isn't it wonderful here at this point that actually it is a man and a woman? It's not just service and usefulness to the church. It is not something that is strictly confined to being a man or being a woman. You can be faithful in serving as a woman. I need to say this because one of the accusations nowadays, isn't it, is that Christianity is mis misogynist, that Christianity is, is so mean to women, that Christianity uh, uh, brings women down, that the Bible is, is uh, what's, what's, uh, what's the name? Patriarchical. Patriarchy. Toxic masculinity. All of those words are used. Well, Paul says of Eudia and Syntyche that they were by his side in the cause of the gospel. You turn to Romans, the letter that Paul writes to, to, uh, to, to the Romans. At the end, we hear of many women. Mary, Junias, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis. Many women that were very useful and very helpful to the church. Paul commanded women for teaching children. Paul urged older women to help and instruct younger women. You have here Priscilla, that so many times in the rest of the New Testament, besides the first time it appears, Priscilla's name comes up first, which probably means that she took some kind of measure of... of uh, of primacy in, the, in all of this, that perhaps she was more uh, the, the, the person that took uh, a measure of primacy in, in the service, uh, in the service that both Priscilla and Aquila performed for the Lord. We are told that the women were vital in the ministry of our Lord Jesus as the first witnesses, as the first evangelists even, as they went and back and told the disciples. Let it not be said amongst us that women are not important. They are important just as much as men in the service of the church, in the cause of Christ. For the glory of Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila are an example of this. May the Lord help us to be useful and to be faithful and to be diligent in our service.